Hello and welcome to the Friday, October 9th, 2020 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, our positive president and a lot of debates. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and with me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, our positive president, or uh, I hope I'm not, I shouldn't be saying our possible president, uh, President Donald Trump, um, who tested positive for COVID and was hospitalized, is far from the first president to have a medical emergency while in office. Uh, Grover Cleveland had secret surgery on a yacht to remove a malignant growth in his mouth. Cocaine was used as an anesthetic. Which oh, those were the days. Of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Franklin Delano Roosevelt disappeared for four days to have surgery once again on a yacht to remove a, a tumor. I'm not sure what's behind this idea of having surgery on a yacht. Not my first choice, but um, <laughs> apparently... It's a thing with presidents. Uh, Eisenhower had a heart attack. Reagan and Ford were shot. Um, Todd, 24-hour news cycle and intense coverage of everything presidential and related aside. Is President Trump's case different? Well, yeah. I mean, the coverage of this sort of stuff is a lot different. I mean, you know, in addition to having secret surgery, FDR couldn't, could barely stand and couldn't walk because of, you know, he had had polio. So in that that wasn't something that was widely reported at the at the time. Uh, yeah, it's a different world in that respect. We do have a 24-hour intense news cycle. Although the difference the the difference with this also is that uh, you know none of those things happened amid a pandemic that the president has been accused of not handling well, and then he gets the virus from that of that's you know that that is of the pandemic that he's not handling very well so that was sort of a a different wrinkle that uh you know this i this notion that sort of the chickens came home to roost because he didn't stop the virus and and couldn't even stop it in the white house so uh that that makes it a little different and a little more newsworthy obviously but uh but it's you know by the other token is that we're not getting a lot of information about his condition. And that's, that's a problem. His doctors have sort of uh, given us kind of sunny reports and even admitted that they made them sunny on purpose. To, so the president would feel better. Uh, and, you know, we, we don't know when his last negative test was he's, he's planning to uh, do in-person campaign events. Again, we don't know what the status is of whether he's still contagious I mean, so there's a lot of questions. And of course, a lot of people on his staff and others that attended that Rose Garden ceremony for the Supreme Court nominee are also testing positive. And so that's, yeah, none of those presidents you mentioned before were were super spreaders of a deadly virus. So <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a new wrinkle. Yeah. There are two things that have struck me about this whole uh, episode. One is sort of uh, what you refer to, Todd, as the chickens coming home to roost, that while there were people who sort of took glee in, in that aspect of it, I was surprised at how muted that was, that there wasn't more 
people gloating about the president getting COVID. Uh, and the other thing is the, the reports that came out yesterday and this morning, Mitch McConnell saying, look, I don't go to the White House. I, you know, <laughs> I'm not taking any chances going there. I mean, that to me is just so telling that, you know, that he's he's reluctant or refusing to go to the White House because of uh, the risk that he thinks he would be taking. Um, and I think I don't know. I mean, I think that just like, you know, well, nailed and then. It. Yeah, and then his reaction to it when he came back to the White House and got out on the portico and ripped off his mask and said, don't let it dominate you. And and then there were the videos that were being sent around of him, like, beating up COVID. <laughs> I mean, like he was some sort of superhero because he hadn't succumbed to this virus, which, of course, was seen as extremely insulting to the families of, of people who have died, That as if this right. was some sort of character flaw that they that they died of a of this of this illness that's killed more than 200,000 people in the, in the United States. So it was yeah, their it, fault. It, it was a very it's a I don't it's one of the most bizarre scenes that I've ever witnessed with regard to the United States president just that whole that whole scene on the portico when he came back. It's it was just bizarre. And and I mean that's that's saying something because there have been a number of bizarre scenes during the past <laughs> four years. Um, yeah. So the most bizarre is, is, is a high bar here. Yeah. We still got time. Still yeah. Got time to clear it. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, you, you've been following COVID here in Iowa very closely and, and many Iowans know someone, a family member, coworker, friend, whatever, who has tested positive. Still, I wonder if seeing the president, the, sick with COVID makes it more real for everybody. Uh, if you see the most powerful man in the world isn't safe from this plague, right. despite drinking bleach or whatever, um, <laughs> you know, will that change people's attitudes? Will it change behavior or are behaviors so tied to politics that to change your behavior would admit you're wrong, that would admit that your personal savior is wrong? You know, that's all positive. That's all possible. And I'm sure that there are people that are like, oh, wow, we should take this seriously now. But I think, let me put it to you in the opposite world way. The president, who should be the safest from the virus, who has gotten tested every single day, who everyone around is supposedly tested every single day, still got it. If anything, if you're one of the people that's like, hey, I don't get COVID. Uh, here but for God, you know, uh, it's it's another indication that no one is safe. So why should I bother doing these sorts of things when it's up in the air, whether they actually work? And the mm. president even got it. So that's possible that, that we're just like, well, we're either going to get it or we're not going to get it. And there's nothing we can do. Look, even the president got it. So that's entirely possible. Um, I, I would hope that people maybe would see that um, he wasn't as good about wearing masks. Um, you know, a lot of people in his circle weren't good about wearing masks. They were shaking hands. They were within close proximity to each other. Um, that Rose Garden event is uh, likely the super spreader event that, that you know, caused it all. Um, so, I mean, maybe it's, it's going to do that, but I really think the opposite could happen. Yeah, it, it's just... It, it should be a lesson that, you know, if you don't wear a mask, if you don't practice safe social distancing and all those things that you increase your risk. But uh, I'm not sure people want to, you know, they don't want to think about it that way, that, uh, you know, maybe maybe it was a communist plot or maybe Chuck Schumer was behind it. Who knows? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Joe Biden. 
<laughs> cooked it up in his basement. I don't know. It, it, Has anyone he, heard from QAnon? What's what's the explanation? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll have to check my, what is it, O-A-N-N website and see what the news is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or Epoch yeah. Times will have that. Oh, problem. yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's all laid out there. Um, and we can rely on that. But um, <laughs> one of the, one of the up, uh, outcomes of this uh, or impacts of the president's illness was that it uh, increased interest in the vice presidential debate. And um, Kamala Harris and Vice President Mike Pence um, went at it this week. Um, Protected by plexiglass and separated by mother, they had a mostly civil discussion for about 90 minutes uh, of the issues that we were told would be the most important to the vice president, that this would be the most important vice presidential debate ever. Aaron, <laughs> that seems like a pretty low bar, but... wow. Yeah. I, I'm just floored uh, you know, by that. Aaron, um, you've become something of our in-house election debate analyst uh, this cycle, or maybe we should, you prefer to be called the color commentator. But um, it, it seemed that people who were appalled by the Trump-Biden debate and called for more civility got what they wanted with Harris and Biden. But did we learn any more than we gained from the WWE version that we saw <laughs> last week? <laughs> well... Uh, the first thing I want to say uh, before I uh, answer your question directly, I'm going to pull a, uh, from the playbook that Kamala Harris and, and uh, Mike Pence uh, used all night during the debates. I'm not going to answer your question first. I'm, I'm going to answer my own. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you mentioned the, uh, the the shift in tone from the presidential debate. I, I And I tweeted about this, so anybody who follows me on Twitter may have already seen this, but I, I <laughs> couldn't help shaking my head throughout the night when we were what a week removed from that circus that was that first presidential debate and the nightmare that that was to watch. And then people were complaining in my Twitter feed. Anyways, a lot of national pundits were complaining about how boring the vice presidential <laughs> debate was. And I just, I, I didn't you have it both ways. Know, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, Oh gosh. So anyways, so that was, uh, my uh, smack my head moment for uh, the the evening. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't I don't know how much we learned uh, be, in part because, like I said, we certainly didn't learn what Susan Page wanted us to learn, uh, the debate <laughs> moderator. Because I, I I if I had more time, and this was more my direct responsibility to cover, I would have gone back through that debate and calculated the percentage of questions that actually got answered. Um, I have to believe anecdotally it was somewhere down around the 20 to 25 percent range. Um, it was remarkable. And I know that's the trend these days of, you know, candidates coming in and they got talking points they want to get across. But usually they at least make an effort to to wait for, a you know, a, a loosely related topic. Man, that vice presidential debate, they, they did not care that whatever the question was. Uh, those candidates spun it to whatever they wanted to talk about. It, it was remarkable. Yeah, it, w what struck me is um, how often they didn't answer the question, but then when the next question came up, they said, "Well, I want to go back and, and talk <laughs> yeah. about what." It, I was like, "No, you had your chance. Right. <laughs> Why didn't you use right. it then?" But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess 
even before uh, the president's bout with COVID, it seemed like the Pence-Harris debate would take on more importance than a typical vice presidential debate. We have a 74-year-old president running for re-election and being challenged by a guy who's almost 78 years old. Um, the average lifespan for a white American male is almost 79 years. So the clock is ticking for both of these guys. Um, but when they were asked about whether they've had a conversation with their running mate about age and health issues and the transfer of power, they both avoided that like the plague and yep. mm. refusing to even say if they've had that conversation, which to me was really striking. And, and in a way, I can understand why they don't want to talk about that. But I think that a lot of Americans are asking that question. Hmm. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and, and, and you're right. Obviously, that's a sensitive and a tough question, but there's a way to answer that without, you know, throwing your your guy under the bus and yeah. and making him sound like he has one foot in the nursing home. I mean, you can you can you can walk that delicate line, and and boy, neither neither wanted anything. You're right at all to do with that, and it's a fair question, and it's a fair point. You know, given their ages, and uh, given that our our president doesn't seem to feel the need to take care of himself while a deadly virus is raging across the globe. Um, it's absolutely a fair uh, question um, that vote and voters probably deserve to hear um, an answer about. I guess at the very least, maybe that's something the, the the debate may have accomplished for people is, you know, they didn't answer any of the questions, but at least you got to see them talk and debate for 90 minutes and maybe people were able to draw conclusions about whether they viewed either of those two candidates as presidential um, if they did have to step up, um, you know, if, if by nothing else, just trotting them out there for an hour and a half may maybe serve that purpose. Um, but, but yeah, we, we didn't, we didn't get any added insight um, uh, despite the, the moderator's best efforts. Yeah. If, if the memorable line from the first presidential debate was, uh, Hey man, will you shut up? Um, I think the line that people will remember from this debate is, excuse me, Mr. Vice President, excuse me, Mr. Vice President. Right, I'm, I'm talking. <laughs> that, that and the fly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Amy, uh, following up on what Aaron just said about, you know, did they look pre- presidential or um, it, it seemed to me that Pence had a harder job because he had to defend President Trump and statements and policies, which you know, obviously gave Kamala Harris a, a lot to attack. And, and for many people who, you know, unlike us, didn't follow the caucus and primary campaigns, it may have been their first look at Senator Harris. Did she seem presidential, vice presidential at least? Oh, I think so. I think she came across as someone who was strong. Um, like like you said, to repeatedly say, Mr. Vice President, I'm talking, you know, that comes across as someone who is, you know, willing to stand her ground. Um, you know, you could say won't be cowed by our adversaries type of thing in office. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that she she did a fine job. I, I'm not sure if people are still watching debates to pick a candidate, and particularly a vice president debate. Um, maybe there's some people still out there, but I, I think people more watch it like a, a football game these days, don't you? Where you're sort of either picked a team that you like and you're really rooting for them, or you're on, you got like a, a fantasy squad or, or a bingo card and, and you're, uh, <laughs> you know. So I think for that, I think, you know, people watching are really trying to see, okay, are you living up to what I think about you? Are you sort of like hitting the high points? And I think for both candidates, they really, 
probably achieve that. I mean, for for Pence's side, he's got the unenviable job of defending his boss on a whole lot of policies that he may or may not fully believe in. Um, And then you see him, you catch him on the side going, you know, in my heart, I know he believes this, you know, when when Pence, when Trump has said something just egregious. Um, So Pence has got to be the most patient guy in the world, you know, say what you will about him doing a deal with the devil. But but man, he is trying and giving it the college try for sure. And I think fly or no fly, you know, he didn't do a terrible job of that either. No, I, I thought he really stuck to his, his, you know, to a script sort of, you know, his talking points. Um, I've, I've interviewed Mike Pence a few times, um, you know, even before he was vice president. And he is about as dry as they come. Uh, I, I mean, and I and I don't mean that he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's just that he's very dry, mm. and it's hard for me to believe that at one time he was a radio talk show host. Because, <laughs> I mean, maybe his maybe his guest provided the spark, the uh, you know whatever. But I mean, he is just so dry, and I mean, and I think that you know during the debate it was intentional. He just wanted you know to stick to. These are my talking points. This is the message I want to deliver. I'm going to deliver it no matter how long it takes me. And I was like, who who advised him that continually running over your time limit was a good move? But at least he didn't interrupt her. I was so surprised to see Kamala Harris able to get through like a minute and a half or two minutes. And and Pence is over here taking notes. It was like the old days. Yeah. I mean, he interrupted a couple times, but I mean, it it was nothing like the first debate. And and, uh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess in that way, maybe the debate was a success. Uh, uh, Sorry, I was just going to add real quick. I know at the very least Republicans are happy. They feel Mike Pence did what they wish Donald Trump would do, Mm. which is instead of, you know, airing personal grievances, he went up there Mm. and, you know, said, Hey, we, we, we did tax cuts and they want to repeal those and raise your taxes. Um, you know, he, he made the conservative, the Republican points that um, Donald Trump just seems uninterested in doing uh, during debate. So I know from the Republican side of things anyways, they felt really good. It seemed like from the ones I talked to and, and, and follow on social media that they were happy with the way Pence performed. Right. The um, president seemed pleased with the way Pence performed too, said he won it big. Um, Todd, who do you believe? What you saw on your TV screen or what the president tweeted about the, the debate? Uh, did you see the same debate where you were? Uh, well, I I always believe what the president tweets because of his long record for honest assessment. I mean, that's that's a given. Uh, no, I was different. I mean, I think his I think his take was probably different than than mine. I I agree with everything that's been said. It was a more civil affair and. Uh, yeah, it was, I, you know, I always feel for the moderator when they, when no one will listen to them. And that's, you know, that was of course on display. That's a, that's a tough thing to do. A tough thing to make people stop talking when they don't want to. And, um, yeah, they, they need to have someone cut off their microphones, but I don't think that's going to happen. No, I don't think so. It, it makes me wonder why people agree to be moderator. I mean, is, is the, is that sort of, uh, time in the, on the stage in the spotlight is it worth 
the abuse. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, I, think it's, I think journalists see it as an important job and it's, it's sort of a, an honor to be asked to do it, but yeah, anymore. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, in this, in this era, it's, it's pretty tough. I mean, maybe that will change depending on what happens with the election, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, this kind of food fight debate is, is becoming the norm. Although mm-hmm. the vice presidential candidates, you know, they, they were more bland, which is what you would expect from vice presidential candidates because yeah, you, they're, you don't uh, they're vying for a fairly bland job. Yeah. So does anybody think this debate changed minds? Uh, will folks who voted this week be running back to the county auditor's office asking for a do-over? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> uh, I cast my vote this week. Um, the only problem, I, I, you know, I no problem with the ballot. I remember to sign the envelope, all that kind of stuff. And then I went to put it in the mailbox, and it was too big for the slot in the mailbox. So <laughs> I had to kind of scrunch it to get it in there. I hope it still counts. Do but, they uh, have a drop box in your county? Yeah, but I wasn't going to drive clear down there oh. to drop it off. It was just like <laughs> that was nice. Know. I used ours, and it yeah. was very nice. They collected over fourteen hundred, I think they said just yesterday. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. People, people are showing up, um, really interested in voting and making sure that their vote counts. And uh, yeah, um, moving right along here, we had a lot of debates this week. Aaron, um, seems like everyone debated. Uh, Senator Joni Ernst and <laughs> Teresa Greenfield uh, had a debate to Representative Cindy Axney and David Young in the third district, Reed Hart and Marionette Miller-Meeks in the second district. Um, no debates in the fourth district um, and only one in, in the first district. Um, did, did Ernst and Greenfield show better manners in round two, or it, was it a reprise of their first melee? Well, yes and yes. Um, they did show better manners, uh, but it, uh, it was also a reprise as far as the topics that were covered uh, for the most part. Um, there was far less of the uh, uh, crosstalk than we saw in their first debate on Iowa PBS. Um, and I don't even know that net, and necessarily and and i like dave price a lot but i don't think it's because he did anything better than david yepsen did as moderators i just think this time they decided the candidates decided not to take that uh route because there was there was just far less of that it, it, it didn't seem like either was coming out there with the um uh, with the plan to to just try and and uh um you know bulldoze their way through um each other's uh speaking times um, but it was, a, like I said, it was a reprise in, in another sense in that I don't feel like, it, you know, and this is tough too, especially when you get into second and third debates between candidates, there's only so much you can talk about. And, and I don't know that we learned anything new. Healthcare was a big topic again. Uh, and that's fair because it is a big topic in the election. Uh, but I, I don't think we learned anything new, um, about either candidates. I mean, we're, it's pretty clear where they stand on those issues already. God, all we need to know about these candidates, we learn from their television commercials, or, or can we learn anything from the debates? Well, they did stick to a lot of those themes, but I mean, there was an interesting exchange about uh, pandemic response, and you had Teresa Greenfield sort of saying that there should be a much stronger federal response, and and 
and uh, Joni Ernst arguing that this should be left up to the states. And I mean, and that, that's kind of a classic, you know, division between Democrats and Republicans. The only problem with er for Ernst is that we've basically had what she's describing for the last seven months and things haven't gone so well. So I think voters might be ready for the federal government to take a little stronger role given the spread of the virus that we're still seeing. I mean, Iowa's hospitalizations are at a record level and, and we also had the, the highest one day total of new cases this past week. So it's, it's uh, you know, I think people are looking for more than, oh, let the states handle it because I, uh, judging by some of the polling that we've seen the, the, in Iowa, at least, people are not uh, happy with the way the state or the federal government has, has handled this. Aaron, quickly, the, the third district debate, David Young and, and Representative Axney, um, this race is a rematch from two years ago. Um, is there anything new there? Are these candidates um, distinguishing themselves or, or is this just rehash? Uh, it, it's a rematch in every sense of the word. It's the same candidates and they're talking about the same issues. And, and again, I hate to sound like a broken record, but it's healthcare again. And uh, they've had a couple debates now. I watched both of them, and, and healthcare was the topic in both of them. Um, Cindy Axney talking about her support for the Affordable Care Act and, and David Young defending his uh, votes against it. Um, the only new wrinkle, uh, David Young has the uh, advantage this time around of Cindy Axney having a voting record, and, or I guess in his view, a lack thereof, and he's been critical of her uh, missing some votes and of her using um, – uh, a proxy during the pandemic to cast votes for her. So, so that's maybe a new wrinkle. Um, but other than that, um, healthcare again, dominating that, uh, same campaign between the same two candidates. Amy, uh, as I mentioned in the fourth district, there haven't been any debates. Uh, state Senator Randy Feenstra has refused to debate JD Scholten in the first, uh, representative Finkenauer and Ashley Hinson had one debate, but, uh, Finkenauer has declined more. Given everything we've said about debates, um, is this a loss for the voters? Or are they missing anything by the lack of debates? Well, and let me bracket it out. I think um, J.D. Schulten's for sure missing out for a lack of debates because he could use the, the bump. Um, I think that the voters are missing out on the first district debate because that race is pretty close. Um, I think both candidates, um, I, I saw last week, that they were both spending about the same in Iowa on uh, Facebook ads. Um, you know, the, the polling is, is sort of a toss up. I think that would be cool to sort of see if, if one of them could have a breakout moment in a debate like that. And, and that's entirely possible that that could happen. Um, but as far as the fourth, I think a debate would, would more just bump JD Schulten more than anything. And I think that's what Randy Feenster is trying to avoid. Um, but are the voters missing out? Very possibly. Um, it, it's definitely possible that they could find things to like about J.D. Shulton or find things to dislike about Randy Feaster that might, you know, move the needle a little bit. Um, it could it could definitely move the needle in this race um, for Finkenauer and Henson as well. So who knows, though? It, it, it also could be a redux of, you know, just uh, the same debates that they've been having, like Aaron and Todd were saying. Talking about a breakout moment, when you think about the U.S. Senate race, it's very competitive depending on which poll you look at. It's very tight or, or Greenfield is leading. Um, so do they have a third debate, Aaron? Uh, I'm, boy, I'm trying to remember off the spot. I, I thought there was one more scheduled, but 
Yeah, that's what um, I was thinking. Right off the top of my head, I, I can't say that with 100% certainty. So does one of them or both of them need a breakout moment in that debate? I mean, what do, what do they do to, you know, sort of change this race? Um, I mean, should we expect uh, somebody to pull a rabbit out of a hat or, or <laughs> uh, something of that sort in a, in a final debate? Yeah, that, that's a really good question, and and it would be interesting to see, in particular, if Joni Ernst feels like she needs to do that because, and again, we got another one this week. The polling has been remarkably consistent on that race that shows uh, – they've all shown Teresa Greenfield in the lead, um, usually in a close race and pretty close to the margin of error, um, but always Greenfield in the lead. So if, if the Ernst campaign – believes that polling if they have polling that shows the same thing that maybe they they feel that she needs to to do something um that will um you know make a make a a, a difference in the race I, I don't know what that looks like i don't know what issue that that comes on um, um maybe agriculture um they've already been pretty relentless about hitting Teresa greenfield on her business record i, I don't know if they they feel like there's any opportunities yet there. Um, but that's a really good question. And, and will we'll be interesting to see, um, the, uh, you know, if, if a, either candidate, but especially if Joni Ernst uh, tries to make a move like that in these closing weeks. Sure. And finally, um, assuming the worst or depending on, upon your political persuasion, Senator Chuck, Chuck Grassley could be our next president as president <laughs> pro tem of the Senate. He's third in line of succession behind Pence and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi if something should happen to the president. So, Amy, what will we remember from the Grassley presidency? <laughs> well, assuming the deer is dead and yeah. uh, who does this pigeon belong to, obviously, are the big theories um i what i i don't see why grass who's fifth in line that's what i want to know all these people <laughs> are in their older ages to be kind yeah we need some more young blood in the in the senate in the house and the executive branch we're getting old as a country that's 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 what we'll remember grassy would have been our oldest president all right aaron the Grassley presidency. I think we lost Aaron. Um, but, uh, Todd, I, any I, thoughts? I, no, oh, there you are. There he is. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say, I'll just say that I'll always remember the Grassley presidency for you know what. All right. <laughs> exactly. And Todd, you, you're. Well, you, maybe we would remember it for. Uh, uh, the fact that he, you know, patrols the White House lawn looking for fallen pigeons. <laughs> I stole a or, pigeon joke. I'm so sorry. <laughs> or, or you know, the inauguration at Dairy Queen, as as Aaron alluded to. Yeah. And uh, you know, and well, he he could he could bring his his triple lawnmower. Exactly. Oh, he could yeah. patrol the White House lawn himself. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and he that that kid that wanted to mow the, the White House lawn that came to mow while Trump was here could join him. Yep, actually, that was I, I, I the Trump presidency, by the way. And Grassley <laughs> would have been the second best tweeter in chief. Yeah, uh, maybe the best. Actually, <laughs> I don't know. Possibly the best. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> Not the most prolific, but uh, uh, interesting that uh, I, I saw Grassley at a Rotary Club meeting this week and somebody was asking him about his lawnmower. Uh, and he said he didn't, he didn't get it going this uh, summer because he said, you know, it's kind of a hassle. You have to get the two push mowers running before you start the ride on mower. And so he just went with the 54 inch swath rather than the 92 inch swath. But yes, I, I, I want to want to see him out there on the, the white house lawn with the full rig, um, you know, and his, his UNI baseball cap and, um, you know, I, I think it would just send a, a, a very positive and calming message to the nation. Mm. We need that. Dude. Well, that's it. That's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it was worth your time. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. And you can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Dream Thieves will take us out, and if you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on a show, send us a sound file, and remember to subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Amy, Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well.